Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. But here's the big deal. This is the big deal to me. Is starting last week, we started really a walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus. And some of you, all the information, I'm just going through the scripture and looking at the different encounters that Jesus had with people. And, and here's what I'm asking. What does this say about Jesus? And if you will, what does that have to do with right, right now? And one of the questions that's come up for me that I want to just open up some freshness to for all of us is, what is salvation? We've got all these church words, salvation and redeemed and saved and born again. And guys like me, just because we've had to, because of time, we've had to simplify and reduce these terms down to simplest uh, form and uh, to uh, least commitment necessary to understand and all of that. And I believe over the years, we've actually lost some of the zest and the meat of what actually got accomplished on that weekend. And I believe we know the history of Jesus, possibly, but the person and how he walks and how we encounter him. I'll give you a for instance. By the way, turn to John chapter four. That's where we're going to be. Uh, uh, and it's a familiar passage of scripture. Um, I had an encounter, and this is what I'm praying for you, for encounters with Jesus. Everybody say encounter. Had an encounter this morning, very early on Sunday mornings I get here, because uh, I like to be alone and pray, and I'm telling you, there's just a sweet sense of the presence of God, and for some of you, that'll sound like strange talk, but very literally, I just, I can, I just, you know, he's always present, it's just me, I, I'm, I get numb, and sometimes I'm more sensitive. This morning, I was very keenly aware of his presence. And I'm, I was having communion. I usually have communion right there where uh, my sweet wife is sitting. And uh, so I'm, I've opened the little deal. I've got my wafer, and I'm pondering if you, as you take communion. We'll do this next week, actually. Hit the body of Christ. Jesus came in bodily form. And the deep spiritual thought that came to me while I'm in a bit of a somber moment, a kind of a you know, serious moment, uh, I realized he came in bodily form to a Jewish culture. He, he was a Jew. And here's, here's the deep spiritual thought that came to me. And I said this to him. I said, I was kind of in a prayerful mood. And then I, I said, Jesus, you never had bacon? <laughs> He's a Jew. Jews don't touch pork. And I thought, and then I said this to him, it's really good. <laughs> so he and I had a little laugh. I had an encounter with Jesus this morning. It was wonderful. I'm praying that you would have encounters. And here's what I want you to know. He's closer than you think. He's all around. Don't wait for spectacular to happen. You'll miss him. You'll miss him in the ordinary. And uh, the presence of God is here with us. And uh, however, he's, he's, he is to you what you believe him to be. And we, we, last week, we dealt with this question, and, and we continue. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What, what are, what's the church saying about me? And we came up with stuff. I can't re-preach that to you. Who do you say that I am? And the reason that that's important is because, honestly, you're going to experience him based on who you believe he is. And it's going to have as much impact in your life and through your life based on how we define Jesus. And I, I will tell you, however smart you are in understanding Jesus, you have not exhausted his thoughts toward you about himself. There's more to learn, okay? So let's open our minds, open up our spirits. Uh, let me just speak to my KGO veterans. Some of you have been saved 120 years, like me. There's not a place in, in the scripture that I can't open to and read the first word and not finish the line. I know where we're going. We're gonna talk about the woman at the well, and for my KGO veterans, you go, oh, the woman at the well, she's gonna get a drink. I bet, I, I bet Jesus is coming again, and yet... All of that. And I want to challenge you because I go through this every week. Here's, 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 here's something you can do when you're reading the scripture and you're reading stuff you've read a hundred times. Um, ponder a piece of scripture, a little piece that you ponder. Just take a deep breath, get your journal out, give yourself 20 minutes, okay? That's going to seem like eight years when you sit down. And I want you to write everything you can see that God is saying to you through that. It'll be, I mean, it'll be all the stuff you were taught from childhood. Ride as fast as you can, and here's what's going to happen. After about five minutes, you're going to be going, that's it. I know it all. You're going to get bored. You're going to go, oh, what else is there? Your mind's going to race. But I'll tell you, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll take a deep breath, say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? How many of you know the, the Word of God is living? It's alive. 
It's speaking. I promise you there's not one story in there that you've read so many times that God doesn't have something fresh to say. And here's what I've learned. These, all these messages, all of them come from something similar to this. When I first sit down to start preparing a message, I have to get, I gotta break through the been there, done that. I've taught on that, preached on that 18 times, 25 times. I gotta get through all of that. And what I found is the best stuff comes last. Because that's what faith looks like. Staying through the boring part. It's not really boring, but just stand your ground and say, Lord, you're gonna speak. And it starts to come alive. I dare you KGO veterans, slow your, slow your roll. <laughs> slow yourself down. Meditate. All right, enough said. John chapter four. KGO veterans, you've seen this before. It'll be fresh to some. Uh, so Jesus is going with his disciples. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem uh, he wants to go through a shortcut and go through Samaria, and his Jewish uh, cohorts there are not too thrilled about going through Samaria because it was taboo, and so they say, well, we're going to go over to the kosher McDonald's before we go through Samaria and pick up some kosher uh, burgers, and so they go off to lunch, and Jesus goes through Samaria and comes to a well because it's, it's the middle of the day. He's hot and he's thirsty. Verse seven, let's pick up there. It says, a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how can you, a Jew, uh, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, there's that question again, who am I? Who, who do men say that I am? If you knew who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you a fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and this well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you better than our ancestors Jacob who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water and I won't get thirsty, won't even have to come back to this well again. He said, call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. Uh, you've had five husbands, and the, the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet, this woman says. We worship on this mountain, and she goes into this thing. We're gonna, we're gonna skip that part. You worship on this mountain. Ver drop to verse 23. Uh, it's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit. Let me say it again. Your worship must engage your spirit in pursuit of the truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who simply and honestly, who are honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being himself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their very spirit, their true selves in adoration. All right, how many of you have heard this story before? All right, a lot here. Most of us have heard something about the, the woman at the well. Out of this encounter, just watching this encounter, there's something about Jesus that gets fresh. And by the way, I just wanna pray over us. I've asked the Lord, and I'll continue to pray for a fresh revelation of Jesus. I'm asking him to meet with you individually. He meets with us here at the church, but I want him to meet with you individually because one of the things that I found in this study this year is Jesus never dealt with anybody exactly the same way. And the saving that he did as Savior was different with every single person. We have simplified this into one, you know, he's gonna take away your sins and you're gonna quit cussing and kicking the dog and all. We've tried to make it real simple. I want you to open your heart to realize this. Jesus knows you personally. He knows what it ha actually has you bound and what you need to be saved from. And you and him need to square up. Here's the beauty of an awakening, and you're gonna hear about this next week. I had an encounter with Jesus when I was 19 years old. I can't get into it or I'll, I'll, get, I'll break up here. But nonetheless, you're gonna hear about it. Here's what I have found throughout scripture is that an encounter with Jesus will be both terrifying and comforting. 
It will be both. We've tried to take the terrifying part out. I'm starting to preach next week. Uh, but so, so Here's what I want you to know. You need to meet the real Jesus, the real one, and he's alive, and he's got enough power to break you free. That's what will terrify you. But the fact that he's capable will cause you to be comforted. The real Jesus, when he shows up, it'll change your life. Uh, and some of you are, again, KGO veterans, and it's gotten numb. It happens to all of us. Let, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you come now? I thank you that you've come to lead us and guide us into all truth. And I believe there are some hearts that have become frozen and dulled just by repetition, just by being human. And Jesus, would you come again? Would you meet with us at water coolers like you did this lady or in gatherings like you did the rich young ruler last week? But would you meet with us personally and to begin to save us from what imprisons us? You're a savior who saves. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing I, I recognize here, and I love this about Jesus, is that Jesus immediately, I remember last week we talked about this. Jesus, his message was, the kingdom of heaven is here. What does that mean? He meant this, the culture of heaven, what heaven applauds, what heaven puts down, what heaven thinks is a big deal, what heaven thinks is not a big deal. The kingdom and the culture of heaven has come with me, and I'm not trying to save you and get you into heaven when you die. I'm trying to get heaven into you now. Right. Salvation is so much more than getting to heaven when you die. So I'm not here to just present some bare minimum commitment on your part. I'm, I'm here to engage you and get you into heaven. And one of the things I love about him is when he brought heaven to this woman, he said, look, I'm going to break through all of these cultural little fear boxes that all the people in these cultures have created. The reason we, we create these little fear boxes so that we can easily minimize and simplify people around us if we can stick them in a box. Here's what I mean by that. Oh, he's gay. You stick him in a box. It's, it's just we got to, oh, oh, he's a Democrat. Oh, he's a Republican. Uh, oh, she's a divorcee. We've got these boxes that we stick people in, and we do it out of our own fears and insecurities. We do it to minimize and to try to put some distance between us and what, whoever they are because the complexity of each individual honestly overwhelms us and the ability to appreciate it and honor it and not identify people by their sin propensities, people who sin differently than we do. We create these boxes, and what I love about Jesus, and every culture has them, every, our culture has them. I love that Jesus comes and he says, in heaven, we don't play that, and I don't respect all these little boxes. The first one was racism. We've got this hypersensitivity that's been worked up in our nation for the sake of leveraging political power. I mean, there is some genuine racism, but I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I grew up when, the, when it was happening. Me and Pastor Reggie could tell you a few things about those times, and high school's really clearing, and, and the country was actually moving forward and it's gone into this grand regression with the hypersensitivity to racism. And I'm, I'm not saying it isn't real, but I'm saying it's been blown up for, honestly, I think, controlling reasons. And it's, and it's created fear for people to speak. I am sick. I, I am not bowing down to fear. The thing I love about Jesus is when he came down to earth and I folks, oh, you can't say that. That's a Samaritan. You can't say that. That's a Jew. You can't say that. Jesus is like, we don't play that in heaven. I made races. I, I didn't. We, we, it's, it's okay to say that a certain culture brings a certain style of music and a certain type of food. Hallelujah. And a certain thing about different cultures. God did that. It ought not be shunned. And oh, oh, be careful what you say. I am sick of being careful what I say. Jesus would not have been politically correct. He would have brought reality to it and blown that thing up like he did with this woman. Samaritans and Jews should have never. It was like, oh, don't go talk to her. He was like, I don't play in that little fear, small-minded, small-thinking fear trap that you people have created. I don't play that. Heaven doesn't play that. In heaven, the scripture's quite clear. There'll be people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and they won't all be living together. Oh, you cannot suggest the Jewish section. Won't have any of that. Galatians says it this way, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, free nor slave, everybody who's come through Jesus Christ to God, we are one. We're one. Right. So we in the kingdom, 
man, we're not here to try to find divisions and hypersensitivities toward, listen, you need to know this. And I believe this. God made red, yellow, black, and white from those cultures that are unique to themselves. They bring all of these wonderful things, and we ought to love it and appreciate it for what it is. The Bible says that if all of the Scripture and all the things of God would have been written, the Bible would have been so thick nobody could pick it up. Having said that, I believe that the scripture, it just it hit the cutting room floor, but it, it, I think it was there, and I think I have a biblical argument for it, that the scripture would have said, on the eighth day, God made Mexicans, and Mexicans made Mexican food, and the Lord said, it is good. It is really good. How do I know this? And it's an airtight theological argument. Let me ask you this. What other culture did God grant to name freely any of their sons Jesus? Jesus, right? He did that on purpose because the food of heaven will be Mexican food. How do I know that? Because when you go after church service, many of you are going to go to, the, to, to a restaurant of the food of heaven and there's a one in three chance that your waiter is going to be named Jesus. <laughs> That's how I know. And he did that to train you and me so that every time he brings you rice and beans and enchiladas and chips and hot sauce, you will naturally say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Airtight theological thinking. That's how you do it right there. All seriousness, in all seriousness, gang, well, in all seriousness, there will be Mexican food in heaven. Hallelujah. I know that for sure. And it won't have all the calories and all that. So. All seriousness, gang, we, 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 we as the kingdom people, we need to make small of small things. And we are, we are one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus blew right past that. The realness of Jesus blew right past that. I don't play in that. I'm speaking to you because you're a human being. That's why, and you need saving, young lady. That's why I said that. The whole, uh, the male woman thing, I mean, she was freaked out because it was unheard of for a man to speak to a woman. We got all this gender fighting that goes on in our culture. Here's what I can tell you about Jesus. He would come and go, in fact, I'm just going to tell you how I think he would say it, back to the real thing again. I think to the whole racial pushing and shoving, he'd go, this, the kingdom is here. That's stupid. All the gender fighting about us, you know, women trying to be stronger men, men trying to be stronger, all of this, all of that stuff, the pushing and shoving, he'd go, this is the kingdom. That's stupid. Love each other for crying out loud. Respect and love and honor each other. But quit all this pushing and shoving, creating these little fear boxes. And man, it, as a public speaker, man, I get stuff all the time. Be careful. What you, be careful. Be careful. All this fear talk, just I hate it. I'm not going to succumb to it. I'm going to say it, and you, you know, if you have to visit me in jail, you have to. All right. <laughs> Cultural things here, the gender box, religious boxes. Again, she goes to the religious argument and says, well, you know, you know we go in that church, and we worship a certain way. We kind of got to get, you know, we get kind of funky in our music, and our pastor has torn jeans, and y'all's pastor over there in the Jewish, y'all wear robes. I mean, is it that or is this? I mean, is it skinny jeans? Is it slim jeans? Slim jeans with cuts? Is it skinny jeans with cuts? Is it mom jeans but no cuts? I mean, how do you worship? And Jesus said this, woman, none of that really matters. It doesn't matter. What happens is that you throw your arms up and you sing the songs and how, how you express your worship on a Sunday morning, it only matters if on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday that you're continually to, to worship. And I don't mean sing. I'm telling you the, the, the king that is on your heart. Remember, this is what he said to the rich young ruler last week. Uh, rich young ruler, I, I'm not here to swat you in the head and say, you stop sinning. You're so greedy. He never said that. He said, you've got another king on your heart that you're worshiping. You've put your, your you've staked, uh, who's going to be your security and your provider? You've staked it on your riches. And when the king comes, heaven doesn't play that. I am your provision. And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. The Bible says that we, will have the, we can have blessing, but without the curses and the pain that can come with blessing. Listen, I need you rich because we're trying to build a building. And I'm praying for you to be rich. But rich can't become your God. Right. Now, here's what I want you to see, because it's going to dial us into the, really the point of this message today. 
Everybody say, everybody say, Jesus is a savior. He saves us. Now that means something different to every single mind and here. Let's get down to the, the crux of it. When Jesus brought up worship to this woman, she brought it up. He actually was hitting the nail on the head. And in essence, here's what he said. I'm the living water and you need to drink from, from this well. What, what, what was all that living water stuff about? And uh, he, he, here's what he was saying. Sweet young lady, a good evangelical preacher would say to you, you're an adulterer. You're, you're shacked up with some cowboy right now and you need to stop that. You wanna get saved, you need to stop that. Jesus never said any of that. He said, honestly, that's not an issue. The fact that you've gone through five cowboys and you're, you know, that's not our issue. Your issue is what's causing you to do it. There's something driving you, and we're gonna use this language today. Your soul is thirsty, and gang, like every other soul in here, like every human you ever look at, when we, were, when we were created by God, God breathed his spirit into us, and for a short amount of time, mankind was fully satisfied. Our value was solidified. Our significance was solidified. How we were gonna be provided for, that strength was loving us. We all want to be loved by the strongest personality in the room. That's God-given. He's the strongest personality in the room. That's the point of that. But when we separated from God in sin, man then had a place in his soul that began to thirst for what it lost. Are you tracking with me? We all ask the same questions. What's my value? How do I quantify my value? When will I be significant? Am I loved? Do I matter? Why am I here? Every single human being has those thirsts from his soul, and it is because we detached from the source, if you will, our well. We detached from that. And what happens by default, by no fault of your own, because you're a human being, that desire for significance and value and all of those things, God put that in you, but you create a route, an answer to it, that just makes sense to you, and that's what you begin to live towards. You say, and here's what you say, if I can have this much money to the rich young ruler, he, he, his default position was this, if I can just have a little more money, control a little more of the company, uh, if I can have uh, some more vacations, if, uh, a better golf score, whatever. Uh, he, he had something in his mind that was defined by wealth, and it looked like Jesus was being harsh on him, but the scripture says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the reason he looked at him and loved him and told him, you need to sell everything you have, here's what he was saying. Your default position that you've set up as your God and your source is your money. And it's that thinking, it's that mindset that has you trapped. I am the source. I'm what you've been looking for. And if, and if you'll turn in, humbly turn in, but God, this makes so much sense to me. If you'll trust me, I'm the source to your value and your significance, right? And so to him, Jesus said, I need to become your default position, right? So everybody understand default position. Only reason it's in my mind is because I set up a, a, something for Stacy on an account that I, it's a long story. But I'm online and uh, it says, hey, uh, your credit card is out of date or whatever. So I go over. I put in a new credit card, and when I did, it asked me this question. Do you want this credit card to be your default payment method? So here's what it was saying. If you set it up as your default payment method, then automatically, every transaction without you having to think about it will be processed through your default. Automatically. You just can't do this to a preacher. Here's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to become our default setting so that every transaction of our life is instinctively processed through him and his view. The trap that all human beings are in, it's not the fact that you swear or cuss or look at pornography or all of those things that we, the church, we beat it up. And I, if you're asking, Pastor, are you for that or against it? I'm against it. But your sin is not really the issue. The reason you're sinning is the issue. Jesus didn't come just to save you from your sinning. He came to save you 
And what has imprisoned you is a false hope in some default setting. For some in this room, and this is genuine. Okay, it's genuine. I'm not punching anybody out. I'm saying this is normal to us humans. You think if I could just be attractive to the opposite sex, that was this precious lady. If I can just be pretty enough, have enough sexual allure, uh, that when I get there, the right man will cause me to feel the value that I do not feel. And Jesus was saying, that's what soul thirst is. That's soul thirst. And you have intuitively come up with a route, which means, listen, wherever you think the, the, the source of your soul thirst is, that's what you worship. That's what you're pursuing. That's why Jesus said, follow, pursue me. I know what you lost. I know why you thirst. Every single human has the same thirst, and we all have these default settings. If I could just be handsome enough, strong enough, you know, look like some of these guys in the gym. If I could, if my career could take off. All of these different things, these are our default settings. Jesus didn't just come to save you from your activity. He came to deliver you from that. And the more I look through scripture and look at encounters, he keeps bumping into people. And he, did, right, he didn't tell the, the, the woman at the well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, well that's not fair because you told the rich guy, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't tell the rich guy, you, you, need, you need living water. Well, he couldn't say the same thing he said to her because their situation was different. That's the point. What has you and what you need to be saved from is not the same as everybody else. Here's the beauty of a personal savior. You encounter him personally. He begins to be not just a general practitioner. He is a, he is a surgical doctor who prescribes for you. Here is your thinking. This is your, this is your default thinking. And here's what happens. You become trapped to it, entrapped by your default thinking by no fault of your own. It's just natural. And if a savior doesn't come and let you know you're barking up a wrong tree, let me tell you, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you spend all of your life and actually reach what you thought would quench the thirst and you get to the top of the mountain only to realize it didn't do it. I was sitting here again where Stacy was yesterday and just praying through this and the scripture that came to mind. Um, oh man, it'd be good if someday I follow these notes because I'm, someday. Here, here's the scripture that came to mind though. Mark 8, 34 says, Jesus calling a crowd to join his disciples. He said, anyone who intends to come after me, uh, to me has to let me lead. You gotta let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am, the Message Bible again. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. In other words, self-prescribing what will quench your thirst is not gonna get you anywhere. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you, what could you ever trade for your soul? For us, again, KG veterans, the New King James says it this way. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, climbs that mountain and gets what he thought would do it for him? If you, if you, you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When we think of Jesus, our Savior, and this is where it gets very, very personal for every single person here. Jesus didn't come just to make you stop sinning. He came to replace that default setting. That's what you're worshiping. That's why he went there with this precious woman. Sweet lady, it's not the style, it's not your jeans, it's not how you lift your hands, it's not the songs, it's not Hillsong, it's not, it's you. You're a worshiper. Now, in prepping for this message, I was reading some books. And I came across a guy I'd never heard of, he's an author, and absolutely not a believer. In fact, anti-us. An academic, uh, Ivy League thinker, and at my, my age, he was born in 1962, and so a very current postmodern thinker and postmodern writer, I don't know how many books, he wrote a ton of books. His name is David Foster Wallace, 
and I, I saw his name and I got intrigued and then uh, there was this famous speech apparently that he gave, it had three million plus views and it was a commencement speech at a college called Kenyon College in Ohio. And so I went and I thought I would listen to just, I thought I'll listen to a little of it, Watch, listen to the whole thing. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. This academic, book writing, postmodern thinking guy is on to something. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor, you're just non-Christian. Here's what I want you to hear. Every soul is thirsty. Every soul is thirsty. There's those that pay attention to it and try to figure it out. There's those that just medicate and act like it's not there. There's those that even try to cover it up in church. But until you get on to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, your soul thirst will, in fact, I'll tell you, you can be very, very born again. It doesn't necessarily make your soul thirst go away, but what it does do is cause you to know where the well is for that thirst. There's a lonely, untouched place in every soul in this room. And this writer, when I heard his commencement speech, I thought, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody non-Christian or even believer explain this. So if you will, I want to read an excerpt from this commencement speech. And oddly enough, he titled the speech, This is Water. Like, thank you, Jesus. You keep handing me this stuff. I'm telling you, I always tell the Holy Spirit, you're a great preacher. I mean, if you hadn't been told lately, the Holy Spirit has these great ideas. So here's this soul. Again, David Foster Wallace, award-winning, best-selling, postmodern novelist. Got all these students in the room, and uh, this is a portion of it. It says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God, and I cut some stuff out there, I'll just tell you, it wasn't kind to us that have chosen what he called JC, to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Here's the thinking. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in your life, then you will never have enough, never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally bury you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, intellect uh, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about, the, these, uh, about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see, and here it is, how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. I, you know, I, I could suggest you listen to this whole speech, not, not for the sake of gaining spiritual knowledge, but to hear what a thirsty soul hunting sounds like. I, I would have to apologize immediately for his language at this particular speech. Gang, that is what thirst sounds like. And here's a guy who has figured out that there's something in us that creates routes to get satisfaction because there is soul thirst that everybody here has. And Jesus, when he sat with this woman, again, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the, uh, the rich young ruler, he said, here's the route you've chosen and that's what you worship, that's why that has to go. With this woman at the well, she said, it's men and sexual allure and trying to be valued by how beautiful you are. And gang, by the way, I think, Pastor, can I be a Christian and be beautiful? I sure hope so. I mean, absolutely. Again, whatever you can afford to heighten, lighten, whiten, tighten, or brighten. <laughs> the, the issue is whether you, you say, if that happens, then I will have the value that my life is here to. It's when you, when you set it up as your well, it'll never quench the thirst. 
and you'll ultimately get there or not. And I'll tell you, it's better to never get there. If you're not gonna follow Christ, it's better to never get there and always say, if only I had of, than to actually get there, get to the top. And here's, again, I've started to say this before. This picture I had of, of living your whole life to achieve something and you actually achieve it and you bow down at the feet of this king that you said, this is who's going to give me value and significance and identity and security. And you look up at the feet of your king and it's you. It's still on you. What would a man give in return for his soul? And what a shame it would be to spend your whole life Gang, here's what I'm saying to you. What is salvation? It's Jesus seeing the desperateness of our hearts that this unbeliever explained about as good as I've ever heard it. We make it about, and I'm not okay with petty sin or any kind of sin. I'm just saying your sin's telling you something is broken. It's a symptom. It isn't the thing. Jesus is a saving Savior. He came to save you from the thing, from what has you. You tracking with me? This brilliant man, um, that uh, again, academic, a uh, millionaire many times over from his book sales, uh, academic awards from Harvard, uh, multiple, I'm trying to think of all the different schools, but he's got multiple things by his name, a desired speaker, uh, acclaimed at the top of his craft, brilliant. Uh, he wrote something. And I, I started not to, and let me go ahead and just give you the, the apology up front, and I, or that's not even a good way to approach this. I'm just gonna tell you, toward the end of his life, he wrote something. He's not with us anymore. And uh, the, his writing, it, it's a little harsh, and it could awaken some things. Some of you here have family, friends, or somebody close to you that's taken their own life. And I... I don't want to be a cheap preacher using somebody's desperateness and how they end their life as some cheap shot. I'm looking at a life who had figured it out, and you, you know where this is going now. He ended up taking his own life, and I, I don't profess to know everything as to what was troubling on the inside. I want to read you this, though, and I X this out about, I just kept coming. I want to read it to you. Because again, I don't know of any, I've never read anything that so helped me see the, the terror on the inside of an individual when they actually climb the mountain and they get to their king and realize their king is them and has no more authority than they do, that all the weight they were trying to relieve is still on them. So, so with respect and recognizing the power of a life and what Jesus came to save I'd, I'd like to read this. Writing of one of his characters, but unveiling his own soul, he says, the so-called psychotically depressed person who tries to kill themselves doesn't do so out of, quote, hopelessness or abstract conviction that life's assets and debits do not square. And surely not because death seems suddenly appealing. The person in whom its invisible agony reaches a certain unendurable level will kill themselves the same way a trapped person will eventually jump from the window of a burning high-rise. Make no mistake about people who leap from burning windows. Their terror of falling from a great height is still just as great as it would be for you or me standing speculatively at the same window just checking out the view. The fear of falling remains constant. The variable here is the other terror, the fire's flame. When the flames get close enough, falling to death becomes the slightly less terrible of the two terrors. It's not desiring the fall. It's terror of the flames. And yet nobody down on the sidewalk looking up and yelling, don't, hang on, can understand the jump. Not really. You would have to have personally been trapped and felt flames to really understand a terror way beyond falling. This precious soul 
hungry and thirsty and hunting and, and close reached the point where, the, where the, the terror on the inside was slightly greater than the terror of death. And at 46 years old, wealthy, famous, top of his game, a wife that loved him, academic honor, he reached the top. Now, this is subjective on my part. I believe he reached the top and realized I've spent my whole life to get this cup of water. His speech was called, this is water. And he got to the top of the mountain and it wasn't, it wasn't what he thought. Gang, what is salvation? Jesus coming to every single unique complex life not to make you behave, but to save you from that that's in you, imprisoned by blind belief because of culture for whatever reason, some of it even church culture. Jesus is a savior who really saves. And everybody here who's been born again or come into salvation, again, pastor, does that mean I'll never feel lonely, I'll never feel purposeless? No, 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 no. But I would say this, this is water. Jesus Christ, Savior, Creator, understander, if you will, of the depths of each person and what it is you need saving from. Woman at the well, it was men. You back up a little bit to the religious. Right, back up, I say back up. John chapter three, just before this. No time to, here's the bottom line. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, again, the original Nick at night, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. This is a Pharisee. He's got it together. Memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, tithes of every, he had 10 green peas, one of them went to the church. A tither, prayed three times a day, gave alms to the poor, and believed in the same God that Jesus came from. Knocks on the door, slips in. Comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say to this religious man who's same hunger, same soul thirst, something's not quite right. Jesus, I know you're from God. Help me out. He didn't say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor because that wasn't his trap, right? He didn't say, I'm the living water. This religious guy comes to him who's doing everything right and in essence says, how do I get into the kingdom? Remember what he said? Nicodemus, you must be born again of the Spirit. You need to be born again of the Spirit. What trapped this religious guy? You know what he thought in his mind by default? If I'm a good boy, if I read my Bible, if I pray my prayers, if I go to church, if I do all these things right, I, by my effort, will attain a sense of value and significance before God because I do it all right. And Jesus, he went there again. Everywhere I look in scripture, I'm seeing this. Jesus dealing very individually to say, Here, you're barking up the wrong tree. You think by your effort, you're going to be able to impress God and somehow have him value you because of your effort. And he says, Nicodemus, let me ask you a question. How much effort did you put into you being born? What did you contribute to that? For you, Nicodemus, you think by your effort you're gonna get into heaven. And I'm telling you, that lie has you bound. You must be born again, which means this. All that you, you were naked and helpless. That's all you brought to the table. You were fully and completely dependent on another. And you need to understand, salvation for you means this. Surrender. Quit trying to impress everybody. In your strength, you can't be good enough. Gang, I don't know where you are, what's going on in each of your life, saved or unsaved. I do want you to know salvation is far more than an honor code of behavior and a come to church twice a month. It is Jesus and you actually squaring up with one another and you saying to the great physician, cut me. Get down to what's really broken in my life and tell you he loves you enough. 
He is a come down to your life personally kind of Jesus. He's a saving savior. He's good at it. That's what he does. That's why every one of these people, he went right to what had them to save them from that. The devil, small potatoes. I, I don't mean, he wasn't saving you from the devil. He's saving you from you, from your lies and the things that imprison your mind. That's why I love, close with this, Jeremiah one of my favorite prayers, Jeremiah 17, he prays some wonderful things, but one of his prayers was this, Lord, heal me, and I personally will be, will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Don't minimize what it is that Jesus saves. He saves you far more deeply than just from hell to get you to heaven. He saves you from you and the trap and the imprisonment of your own thinking. Let him. This is water. This is water. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? And I know you're already here. But we open to you every single individual, independent life. No group hug at this moment. No generalities. You're a surgeon, you're surgical. Lord, very compassionately, and as a one who struggles just like everybody with creating these routes, these other gods of if only I do this, achieve that, become that, this thirst will finally be quenched. Jesus, for every human in here, would you come and touch each one? I pray for a, a woman at the well experience a rich young ruler experience, a, Nic a Nicodemus experience, a personal. Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to each heart and each mind? Now, regardless of whether you're confident you're going to heaven, and, and I believe many of us are, there's still a working out of your salvation and a part of it's just simply embracing there's more saving that needs to be done. Yes, I'm going to heaven, but there's a work of the Holy Spirit right here and now. And it's deep and it's personal and it's unique to me. What is that? What are you counting on to satisfy your thirst, really? And I don't say that with a guilt imposed. I mean, the spirit of the rescuer is in the room. He's looking at you and he's loving you and saying, you know what that is. Give me that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Save us and we'll be saved, really saved. Heal us and we'll be really healed. You're our praise. All heads bowed and all eyes closed just so we conclude. Perhaps you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior. We call it being saved, born again, all of those things. But the point being, you're not saved. You're not saved from you. You're not saved from your sin. And you need a Savior to come and set you free. And you know in your spirit, though, you can't explain it, and I can't explain it all. You know that this moment that God has you here. I'm going to lead us all in a prayer, and it's far more important what's going on in your heart than what comes out of your mouth. But I believe the Holy Spirit has very gently invited some people to surrender your life to God and let healing begin, real saving begin in you as a person. So I'm gonna lead you in that prayer. All of us as a church are gonna pray it together, but if you've never prayed this or said it, today you're gonna to begin your journey into the kingdom through the king, and salvation is beginning. Your name will be written in heaven but the work of salvation will begin and you'll follow Jesus. Everybody praying after me. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against you and I'm fully responsible. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived for me. 
He bled for me and he died for me to pay for my sin, to save me and to heal me. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my healer and redeemer. I surrender my life. Do anything you want with my life. Let salvation begin. I will follow you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, God, that every default position, every default position in any heart and soul that needs to be corrected by your spirit, would you begin to address it as we make you the Lord and the Savior, the one we, we worship in spirit and in truth and awaken, the, the, uh, awaken a revelation of Jesus in this church. Thank you, Lord. Father, our final act of worship is in the bringing of our tithe, our offerings, our financial gifts. I do ask you, God, would you receive it as an act of worship? Lord, for any and all in here that money has become the Savior we're looking to, Lord, we bring our tithes and offerings to break that off of ourselves. We do it in obedience because we trust you're our source. The bank's not our source. Our job's really not our source. You use it. Wall Street is not our source. You're our source. Thank you, Lord God, that you are our source. Let the blessing and the favor of God come as well upon this church financially as it has. It's our blessing, our honor to give our tithe and our offering, Lord God. Lord, bless the rest of this week, I pray as well. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.